You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. with Phil, he's a freak, right? He can do a lot of things. He's a sports freak, right? So the freak, so the freak. RJ with room. Shot doesn't go. And that'll do it. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes. In Vancouver, Jason, good morning. Good morning. A dog, good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. Hour one is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Kintech. The show is as follows today, dear listeners. At 6.30, we're going to get things underway with uh, Luke Gazdick. He's going to join us yet again on the Halford and Bruff Show, former NHLer, now a Sportsnet NHL analyst slash panelist. Uh, we'll talk to him about everything that's going on around the National Hockey League. I want to ask him about Phil Kessel's return, which was a big news story yesterday because Luke is 34 and has been away from the game for a couple of years. Phil Kessel is even older. He's 36. So I want to ask Luke, as a former NHLer that's been away from the game for a while, can he appreciate how difficult it is what Phil Kessel is trying to do with the Vancouver Canucks right now? We'll speak to Luke at 6.30. 7.10, note the start time, NHL.com. We'll do a lot of trade deadline stuff with Dan. Uh, MetLife Stadium home of the New York Jets and Giants this weekend, is going to be home to two outdoor games. And Dan is on site for that, so we'll talk to him. Dan Rosen, of course, NHL.com senior writer. 8 o'clock, Drancer is going to join the program. Uh, Of course, Canucks talk and uh, the Athletic Vancouver. We'll talk to Drancer about tonight's game, the Canucks and the Red Wings, featuring Jake Wallman and his his dance. uh, That'll be going from Rogers Arena, 7 o'clock puck drop. A reminder... Pre-game, post-game, and the actual game all right here on Sportsnet 650. So Canucks Red Wings at 7 p.m. Uh, Drancer at 8, Dan Rosen at 7, 10 a.m., Luke Gazdick at 6.30. That is what's happening on the program today. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. It was Kessel, Kessel, and more Phil Kessel in the news yesterday for the Vancouver Canucks. The big club has the day off after returning home from a flight from Chicago following their win against the Blackhawks. So all the attention turned to Abbotsford, where Phil Kessel took to the ice for practice on Wednesday in what I think was probably the most publicized practice in the history of the Abbotsford Canucks. Hey, I've got a I've got an old school joke for you, but with a twist. Go. 
Phil Kessel flew into Abbotsford yesterday, and boy, were his legs tired. <laughs> hey <laughs> That's a good one. That's not like bad. That. That's hey, not bad. Really That's fun. not bad. Sadly, his legs were tired. <laughs> also his arms. <laughs> Pretty much every body part. Now, look. There were some media members that were either on hand or were able to obtain video of Phil Kessel's near hour-long skate with the Abbotsford Canucks. And a couple of the reporters pointed out that Phil Kessel didn't look like he was in the greatest shape. To which I responded, yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be that guy that looks at a video of someone who hasn't played uh, at a high level for the better part of 10 or 11 months being gassed or winded. That was kind of to be expected for me. I'd like to focus more on this being the first step in what appears to be a multi-point plan for Phil Kessel and the Vancouver Canucks. So, uh, Patrick Johnson of the province had an interview with Jim Rutherford yesterday in which he talked about a number of things, including Phil Kessel. Now, it certainly sounds as though the Canucks have a rather detailed plan when it comes to the future of Phil Kessel. So, Mm -hmm. we heard earlier Rick Tockett after the Chicago game speak about how this was the first phase for Kessel, the first step. Rutherford then said that Phil Kessel has to, quote, Go through a bunch of checkpoints before he can ultimately finish the plan. Checkpoint Charlie? That's right. Checkpoint Phil or Checkpoint Kessel probably works better. Here's the thing. If you look at the timeline on this, the Canucks really only have one significant deadline that they need to meet in order for Phil Kessel to play with them at any point this year. Mm -hmm. He needs to sign a contract by the trade deadline on March 8th. He doesn't have to be with the Canucks. He doesn't have to be in the NHL at all. All he needs to do is to have signed an NHL contract. From there, they can do a variety of things. He can keep playing in Abbotsford on a pro tryout while he has an NHL contract in hand. He doesn't have to appear in the game before March 8th. He just needs to sign a contract. Right. All this leads me to believe is that they are in no rush. Phil Kessel, uh, Rick Tockett, the Vancouver Canucks brass, they're in no rush that this is just the beginning of what might end up being a kind of interesting and useful addition but not anytime soon. I guess the only other thing that could happen, though, is that some other team signs him. Sure. Could happen. You would imagine. It's, it's like when you have a guy for a PTO. Yeah. And he plays well. And the old Scotty Upshaw. Yeah. He got the free trip to China, and then he signed with the Blues. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, uh, uh, there was a lot of publicity yesterday about Phil Kessel, and the cameras were out in Abbotsford. Um, the Canucks, as you mentioned, didn't practice, so... There was nothing uh, to go film or practice for the Canucks, so they went out and saw Phil Kessel, and there were a couple of reporters that were out there and were watching him skate, and or at the very least, they saw the video of him skating, and he looked tired. So it took less than 24 hours for the, is he in shape questions, and I'm sure a few people threw in some cheap hot dog jokes, and, you know, get him a hot dog, and he'll be fine, or something along those lines. They sure did, Jason. Yeah, I love that. Uh, And, you know, this is the Phil Kessel experience, and we're getting it right away. So, the Phil Kessel experience also includes comments from his former assistant coach in Pittsburgh, now the head coach in Vancouver, Rick Tockett. So, yesterday, during the TNT broadcast of the Penguins-Panthers game, uh, the Spit and Chicklets guys did like a Manning cast alongside of the broadcast. It was Wit and Biz, and they were on a side panel, much like Peyton and Eli were for a bunch of football games this year. And one of their guests during the broadcast was none other than Rick Tockett, 
who used to work on TNT and, of course, is now kind of sort of Phil Kessel's head coach, so no te- not te- technically yet. Uh, I want to play two audio clips here. The first is a funny anecdote that uh, Talk had had about Phil Kessel during their time together in which Phil Kessel bet him that he couldn't do chin-ups. And then the other one... I bet it wasn't their only bet. No, it definitely wasn't. It seemed way too casual and cavalier to be their first and only bet. You want to start with the chin-ups one? I want to start with the chin-ups, and then I want to move to the actual hockey stuff because Talkit does talk about this being the first phase. But the first clip, I think, is more important. It's not just about their relationship, but he also talks about what Phil Kessel brings to the team. Here now, Rick Talkit on the chin-up challenge with Phil Kessel. We're playing game seven against Washington, and guys, some guys are playing soccer, other guys are working out, you know, getting ready, and he, like he always does, has a coffee, he sits on the, the trainer's trunk in the hallway, and wash. you guys been there before. And I'm outside, and me and him, we usually, me and him talk a lot, right? Uh, and he's like, anyways, we're talking about something, there was a chin-up bar, and he said something, he goes, I said something I wish I was playing, you know, I wish I could, he goes, you couldn't play it nowadays, I said, I, you know, whatever, right? So I said, Phil, I'd, I'd stuff you in a box two seconds right now. That kind of stuff. And he said, you can't even do five chin-ups. And I said, you want, want to make a bet? I'll, I'll bet you tw- I can do 12 right now. And he goes, how much? And, and you know, he said, I'll bet you 300 bucks. I said, make it 400. I said, all right. So I take the jacket off. I got the, the, you know, the tie on. And I, I, I crank out 12. I actually need 13. All credit to him. All the guys come over and they start, you know, counting. And, uh, you know, they started high-fiving me. Anyways, he goes in the locker room, comes out with 400 bucks, and I go back in the uh, back in the coach's room. So he goes, where were you? I thought you went to just get a coffee. He goes, no, nah, I had to go make 400 bucks, and I told him the story, and they laughed. <laughs> Anyways, the moral to the story is we won the game, and uh, that's the sort of stuff Phil does. You know? And that just further proves that Rick Tockett is still in sh- shape and could beat up Rod Brindamore. Yeah, crank right. out 12 chin-ups. 300 bucks. 400 bucks. I thought yeah. <laughs> Brindamore's like, watch this, does 600 chin-ups. So I'm watching the broadcast. I'm like, this is a story about Phil Kessel, but did Talkin hear our conversation about fighting Rod Brindamore? <laughs> is he flexing on everyone right now? Some, anyway. Just some Rocky montage at, Phil, uh, at Rick Talkin's place. The other thing that he talked about, because the guy is Biz and Whitney wanted to know specifically about what's Phil, what is next for Phil Kessel in Vancouver. Uh, here's Talkit talking about the first phase of skating and then what's next for Phil Kessel in Vancouver. We message a little bit, but I think it's more uh, for him to see where he's at. We got the you know the skills coaches going to work with him. You know, he's been off for ten months, but the thing with Phil, he's a freak, right? He's a he's a he's a he can do a lot of things. He's a sports freak, right? Um, so I don't know I don't know where he's in shape. I know the one thing he can pass the puck. Um, and we'll see where it goes. Like the first phase here is the next four or five days he was at uh, physically before we even entertain anything from there. So in case you're wondering, and if you're looking for something to do this weekend, a friendly reminder that the uh, Abbotsford Canucks do have a pair of games, including one, a matinee game on Monday, Family Day, if you want to check them out. Maybe Kessel gets into the lineup. Who knows? We don't really know yet. What I do know is that the Vancouver Canucks will be back in action tonight against the Detroit Red Wings. The rematch against Jake Wallman. And the gritty. And I'm going to put that conversation aside. Forever. Although I did note, I Why? did notice, I did notice that we had a Wash or Detroit Red Wings guest booked, and then he bailed on the hit. Yeah. And I got to say, it's be it's probably due to fear of retribution, right? <laughs> he, he didn't want to talk about the gritty. Yeah, like I can understand why he he decided not to come on the show, and that's fine because we can do this ourselves. So uh, this is an interesting matchup because uh, Vancouver is looking for the uh, gritty revenge factor and also, more importantly, losing in overtime just on Saturday, five days ago. Um, 
so they've got that going for them. But the Red Wings have the bounce back factor going for them because the game after the Vancouver win, they went into Edmonton and got lit up by Connor McDavid, who had six assists in an 8-4 Edmonton Oilers win. Uh, yeah, so it's interesting. If you actually look at this Detroit team, they're fifth in their division. And you'd say at you know first blush, well, they're not having that good of a year. And how good, good could they be? They're fifth in the division. They're also in the second and final wildcard spot. Uh, I do believe that the Atlantic is the most deep division in the NHL, reflected by the Detroit Red, Red Wings. So they came out of the break. They beat Vancouver on Saturday. They got, as you mentioned, they got blown out by Edmonton the other night. There's an interesting development in net because Vili Huso, who's been dealing with injuries all year, played, I think, nine minutes against the Oilers and got hurt. Mm-hmm. And that was supposed to be Alex Lyon's night off. Alex Lyon's like, <sighs> okay, fine. And then he responded by allowing seven goals mm-hmm. in that game against the Oilers. It destroyed his save percentage. Who too. else do they have there? Like James Reimer? James, James Reimer, yeah. And Michael Hutchinson's in the mix as well. So Reimer's just kind of been hanging out. Right. As the third goalie. Mm-hmm. And I think now, now they didn't practice yesterday in Vancouver, by the way. They had a day off in Vancouver. I don't know what they did, Japa Dog or something or other. But, um, oh, they we, met Phil. Yeah, they didn't get any. We got no updates on what's happening in net with them. But uh, I'm kind of looking at everything else that's going around this game because, you know, Saturday, for the way that it ended and the grid and everything, it was a very intense, very feisty affair for two teams that don't play each other that often. You'll remember. Nikita Zadorov got a two-game suspension for his quote-unquote headshot on Lucas Raymond. Hey, when is Nikita Zadorov back? Well, Jason, he's back tonight. He is oh. cleared. His two-game suspension will turn to the lineup. I also kind of forgot that Noah Jules... <laughs> Zadorov comes out, he's like, these guys again? <laughs> yeah. Do I have to hit this Raymond guy in the head again? Fine. And then there was Noah Juleson, who also had a big hit on Lucas Raymond. That started a kerfuffle. And another thing I forgot... But will Juleson be in the lineup? I don't know. That remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that I totally forgot about from the weekend, because we really only focused on the Washington game and the Super Bowl. fair enough, coming in here on Monday. I forgot that Alex DeBrinket fought and he fought, uh, Ian Cole. Did there, I, I totally forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. He instantly regretted that. You know what? I should not have done that. That's a brave move for mm-hmm. that guy. I give him a lot of credit because yeah. Alex DeBrinket is, the I also sh- give Ian Cole credit for winning the fight. Yeah. Don't lose. Well, Cole at the end, you could tell it was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm not going to. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. over now. You had a chance yeah, yeah. to. I don't want to hurt him you. one at the end, and he mm-hmm. held back. Because Alex Brink is the shortest guy yeah. in the NFL. And then Ian Cole called him son. Good fight, son. <laughs> he tussled his hair. Took him out for ice was like, "I'm not your son. <laughs> I'm not your son." Put it this way: Debrink- You're not my father. <laughs> Debrinket is generously listed at five foot eight. Generously. That's with skates. Yeah. So anyway, there, there was a lot that went into that game. Uh, on Saturday, so I'm actually very- well. The Red Wings, as as you mentioned, like they're they're in desperation mode. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're trying to make the playoffs for the first time in what a while. I don't know. It hasn't been as long as the Buffalo Sabers playoff drought, but you know this is a team that it was. Re- remember going into the season, we wondered about three teams. We wondered about Ottawa, Buffalo, and Detroit. Mm-hmm. Well, Buffalo has been another disappointment. Ottawa has been through a lot, including a lot of losses, although they got that big empty netter the other day against Toronto. Huge. I wonder what else happened there. Uh, anyway, they got an empty netter, uh, and they're going to miss the playoffs. And Detroit is kind of the last hope for those three. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, you know, if, if they make the playoffs, it has a knock-on effect for a bunch of other teams 
the ones that will be kept out. Like it'll sure. be a big deal if New Jersey doesn't make the playoffs. It'll be a big deal. Um, even though we might not have expected the Islanders to make the playoffs, they certainly had expectations and they've gone as far as bringing in Patrick Waugh to turn that team around. Hasn't worked so far. And uh, maybe the team we should talk about just for a few minutes right now are the Pittsburgh Penguins who just still can't get it going. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, I, I, I point out their underlying numbers, which look pretty good. They've got a positive goal differential, which is rare for a team outside the playoff picture, especially as far back as they are from the playoff picture. They got a plus 10 goal differential, but they just can't seem to can't seem to win games and enough games. And now there's word that Jake Gensel might be out for a while, which make, could make their season even worse if they can't trade him. If they can't even trade him and get something for him at the deadline, mm-hmm. man. So the Penguins lost 5-2 uh, to the Florida Panthers last night. That's their third loss in a row, as Jason mentioned. They just can't find a way to put games in the win column right now. And then the worst development of all might not have been the loss to the Panthers, but rather the fact that, as you mentioned, Gensel is currently being evaluated for an upper body injury. He left the game early in the third period yesterday after he took a hit from Nico Mikola. Did not return uh, it didn't sound great post game. I watched the audio and and through gritted teeth. Although I'm sure some of it had to do with the fact that it's because his team lost. Sullivan offered a very terse no update, but he did say that it's an upper body injury for Jake Gensel. So that could really throw a wrench on two fronts into the Penguin season. Mm-hmm. One in terms of getting wins and losses, Gensel's one of their top scorers. Not having him will be a disaster. And if they're not able to move him at the deadline for assets then it's almost this double loss that they have going into what could be a very uncertain future. So the Penguins came out of the All-Star break, and it looked pretty good because they got a 3 nothing win over the Winnipeg Jets. Since then, three straight losses all in regulation at Minnesota, at Winnipeg, and home to Florida. So, you know, you look at those teams, Minnesota is actually playing some pretty good hockey, and the Canucks are going to play them on Monday uh, that's an after. Is that eleven a.m. Eleven a.m. and uh, it's eleven a.m. local time. It's, Our it's time. a game. It's a game in Minnesota at the yeah, XL yeah. Energy Center. Yeah, but yeah, you mentioned the Jets and you mentioned the Wild. Oddly enough, both those teams were in action last night. Uh, the Jets beat the Sharks in the in the West Side Story game. Right. When you're a Jet, you're a Jet. I don't. Know. I've never seen that. Uh, that's close enough. Uh, you should keep going. Um, so it was a lackluster affair, even though it had a good West Side Storyline in it. Uh, a one nothing win. For the Jets, the only reason I mention this is that the Jets uh, will face the Canucks on Saturday. It's going to be a Hockey Night in Canada game. Uh, there's going to be a lot of attention paid to it. The Jets have kind of righted the ship a little bit. They've got two wins in a row after that five-game losing streak. Here's a funny one from last night's game. They badly outplayed and outshot the the San Jose Sharks, even though they only won one nothing. <laughs> you would you, hope so. You would think the score effects at some point would kick in for the Sharks when they were trying to catch up and they were down one nothing. Yeah, not in a one nothing. Well, they were trying to get the one goal. Yeah, I guess. They, yeah, <laughs> this is how tight Winnipeg is defensively. Mm-hmm. They held San Jose, who again was trailing one nothing and was trying to score a goal, to five shots in the third period. Yeah, the Sharks are probably like, you know what? Lose by one goal, that's not bad. That's a win for us. So let's let's lock it down. Let's lock down this one nothing loss. This actually helps our goal differential by only losing by one, so that's good. And then I mentioned... Coach the, won't get too mad if we only lose by one goal. And then I mentioned the Minnesota Wild. I don't know where this came from, but the Minnesota Wild are the hottest team in the Western Conference. They've won four straight. They've won seven of ten. 
They beat the Arizona Coyotes last night. They've actually been pretty good under John Hines. I only bring this up because the Canucks are going to be there in, on Monday, and it's an 11 a.m. start. It's a weird time. It's and they're weird... sneaky in the playoff race, right? They're three points back of St. Louis. They're 2014-1 and one on, with 34 games under John Hines. So they host Buffalo, not a good team, on Saturday. So they could extend that win streak to five before they face the Canucks on Monday. Just keep an eye on it. That's all I'm saying. I think a lot of people thought that they were ready to wave the white flag on the season and start selling off assets, but mm-hmm. that hasn't happened yet. They're tied it's with the, the Calgary Flames in terms of points and one point up on the Seattle They've Kraken. been sneaky good. Like I, I, When I was doing the research last night, I had no idea that they had won four straight and seven of their last ten. They're the hottest team in the, the West. Flurry the, good, good vibes show. It is, it is a good the good vibes show yeah. for Flurry for if, sure. If the Canucks can finish first in the Western Conference – and that still blows my mind to to say that. And currently they have a six-point cushion on the Dallas Stars, although the Stars have a game in hand. Um, if they can win that, they're probably going to get a team like St. Louis, Nashville, mm-hmm. Calgary, Minnesota, or Seattle. Yeah, some very and mid-teams in there. Mid-teams. Um, what, I, what I hope is that they don't, if that happens, they don't get – the Kings. I would not want to say. As currently constructed, not that I'm I'd be, terrified I'd be, <laughs> of the Kings. No, as currently but, constructed, you know, I'm I okay. hope they don't. I just wonder if the Kings have one big move. Yeah, to get a goal, UC yeah, Soros. That's right. Uh, a couple other things I want to run through in the world of sports. From last time, there's actually a lot of things that happened. Uh, Flyers named Sean Couturier captain. The only reason I bring this up is because the Flyers keep defying expectations, and they're still very much in a playoff position in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Couture is also a pretty awesome story. He missed a ton of time, almost, uh, what was it, 18 months, 22 months in total with his back surgery and then all the complications from it. They were without a captain for two years. So it, I thought the timing was that you don't get a lot of um, captain announcements mid-season, post-All-Star break in February. But I think the Flyers really think that they have a chance of getting in the playoffs this year. There's six points up. On the New Jersey Devils, Devils have a couple games in hand, but they got that third spot in the Metro. They've won four straight. Uh, of note, that now leaves us with just four, count them, four captainless teams in the National Hockey League. Anaheim, Arizona, Chicago, and Seattle, who you mentioned. Um, I'm going to ask Dan Rosen later a little bit about the New York Islanders because I think they're almost on the verge of breaking down. Patrick Waugh bag-skated the living daylights out of them yesterday ahead of their stadium series game. Bo Horvat and the boys had to do had to do some gassers at the end of practice after a really hard practice. And mm-hmm. Arthur Staple had a piece in the athletic talking about are we really doing this still, the push to finish eighth so we can get eliminated in the right. first round of the playoffs? Like the, I know it's early, but the Islanders is have Bo, been is Bo still having a lot more fun than he did in Vancouver? See, is here's it still a lot more fun for Bo. Not no, he still tells us that for free. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, he would tell us that for yeah, free. He's like, that actually costs ten dollars. <laughs> And he was panting while he was doing it. But uh, the Islanders haven't gotten any better under Patrick Wall. Like, the new coach bump has been non-existent. They haven't moved anywhere in the standings. They've actually dropped a spot from ninth to 10th. They're a 500 team under Patrick Wall. And I think a lot of people are saying, that's because they're a 500 team. Like, that's it. Lane Lambert, Patrick Wall, doesn't matter. So we'll, we'll keep a, an eye on that. We'll talk to Dan Rosen later. We're going to do some of the Eastern Conference stuff with Dan. Uh, I do want to end what happened on a very tragic And very sad note. So yesterday, as I'm sure a lot of you saw, um, there was a shooting at the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl parade in Kansas City. 
Eight children were among the 22 people hit by gunfire, and there was a fatality. A mother of two, identified by a radio station that she worked at locally, KFFI, who later confirmed her passing in a Facebook post. Uh, Kansas City police said that three people had been detained as part of the investigation. Uh, It should be noted that this is just the latest in a series of sports celebrations in the United States to be marred by gun violence. There was a shooting in downtown Denver after the Nuggets won the NBA championship last year. There was also gunfire at a parking lot near the Texas Rangers World Series championship parade as well. So unfortunately, this becomes prevalent in American society and now apparently in American sports celebrations. And this is how the reaction went in the United States. In other news, uh, after just one season as the San Francisco 49ers defensive coordinator, Steve Wilkes is out. Right, and that's, I mean, almost the most problematic thing of all is mm-hmm. that it got added. People are getting used to this. It got added to the news stack. Yeah. And, just... it got, and it got added in the AP article that I was reading to a list of championship sports celebration shootings. Like, it's not a one-off. This is the one that happened in football because it already happened in basketball. Well, there was one at the Raptors. Probably. Yeah. So um, it is is a broken society, uh, to put it mildly, and it's incredibly tragic and incredibly sad for the people that were injured and the one that lost uh, her life yesterday. You're listening to the best You're of Alfred listening and to Bruff. the best of Alfred and Bruff. What we just have to call Thomas Grant's erotica. Thomas Grant's erotica. Thomas Grant's erotica. Expected goals. Thomas Grant's erotica. Dog's model. Thomas Grant's erotica. Regression. Thomas Grant's erotica. PDO. Thomas Grant's erotica. Eight oh two on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. Halford Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour three of the program. It's a sultry hour here on the Halford and Bruff show. Hour three is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics. I can only do that a little bit. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Kintech, baby. Oh, yeah. Let's go to the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline now. Thomas Drance joins us on the Halford & Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Drancer? Gentlemen, good morning. Uh, Jason admonished me at the break for my long-winded, lengthy questions. And he said, try and make mm. this the shortest question you've ever asked Drance. And you still have a big lead-up to I it. I haven't started the question yet, <laughs> jerk. The question is, Phil Kessel, talk about. <laughs> Four uh, words. Why, that was not a question. Why did you phrase it like Yoda? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What are the Canucks what, what's what's go, what are the Canucks thinking with Phil Kessel, Drancer? <laughs> Canucks good they are. Um Go to the playoffs they will, yes. <laughs> um 
yeah, I mean, I think it's just depth. I think it's just a potential option to enhance uh, some of the offensive punch that this club could have. I, I mean, I'm pretty confident that given that he hasn't played all season, given what we saw from Kessel in Vegas last year, you know, it, it's bottom six, it's second power play, and he can help there. I mean, he Quebec's have not gotten a lot from their second power play unit. Kessel, you know, had nine points on the power play for Vegas last year and, and wasn't really a fixture on the top unit. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's like a marginal upgrade with zero acquisition cost if he's fit enough, like if he passes the signposts on the way and, and warrants a shot. And and it's um, a shot you can kind of call here, right? Like he's down in Abbotsford. Uh, he'll practice for a bit. You, you get a look, see if he's at a level where he, you think he can help, where you think he can help. If he can, then, you know, you sign him to a league minimum deal as close to the deadline as you can. And, yeah, I mean, it's just another body. I, you know, I, I, my, my issue is you get to this point in the season, March 8th is what now, three weeks away? And you only have so many bullets in your chamber. Like you only have so many sort of things you can hit here. Um, you know, Canucks have two plus ish million to play with. Um, yeah, I think there's higher leverage ways to spend that cap space, you know, whether it's bringing in another depth defenseman, ideally a righty, ideally a guy who can move the puck a little bit. Um, whether it's a, another forward with some size who can kill penalties and then, you know, I, I always think the number one thing is is the rainy day fund. Like, you just don't know what's going to happen between now and the deadline and the ability to pivot, you know, if you need to add a goalie and, and if you if you have the cap space to go play in um, the sort of pool where you can bid on a Kevin Lankinen or a, or a Kako Kakinen type thing. Like, you know, I, I never... I never don't think about the Jacob Markstrom deal when it comes, or not the Jacob Markstrom deal, the Louis Deming deal to, to give the Canucks some goalie depth when Jacob Markstrom got hurt a week after the Canucks had already bought in 2020, right? Like that to me always looms large here. Um, you know, the, those to me would be higher leverage areas for this team to add in, but bringing in Kessel doesn't necessarily preclude you from doing that. Uh, it's just that it could make it more complicated. So I, I think we'll see, but I think it's just the depth that I don't think it's much more than that. Um, despite me giving you a very long-winded answer to a forward question. Uh, Drancer, where would the Canucks be without the third line? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, honestly, I think, first of all, go back 15 games, okay? If we go back 15 games, the Canucks last 15 games. Pedersen has played one minute more than Teddy Bluger at five on five. Right. Um, Bluger ranks fourth among Canucks skaters over that time frame in five on five ice time logged. Garland fifth, Dakota Joshua second. Well, if your line is fourth, fifth, and sixth in ice time logged uh, on the team, you're the second line, like very much so the second line. Uh, now that's, weird because Miller and Pedersen and Besser are the top three, right? And Miller and Besser play on different lines. Um, so it's impossible to think of them as a second line given that, you know, Miller and Pedersen don't play together and, and play ahead of them. But um, 
you know, this is not a second line. This is this team's primary engine going here. Uh, they're Vancouver's most consistent line. And, and even more than that, like we, we, you always say stuff like that, you know, the, the most consistent line is like a moniker you give to a line that you just feel uncomfortable describing as their best line because it doesn't have Pedersen or, or JT Miller on it. But let's be real. It's been their best line. It's been their best line, uh, not just for the last 15 games, but, you know, dating back to like early November, even before the bounces started going in for them. Mm. This has been a line that I think has reliably dictated the pace of games, rested momentum in their favor, uh, controlled play at a level that no other forward line's been close to. Um, they've, I mean, the, that third line is their best forward line five on five and, and with a bullet. Can you put into context, maybe using comparisons with other teams, how the current top six is playing? Using comparisons with other teams. You don't have um, to. Just just give us an idea of how the top six is playing because it seems to be the number one concern of the coaching staff, the management, and most of our listeners. Well, yeah, and I, I mean, I think the – so let's go to this 15-game segment again. For all that it might be a concern and for all that the Canucks went out and spent assets to upgrade it, so not just an external concern but something the club wanted to address – uh, and, and they've shown us that with their actions, you know, for all of that, like with Miller and Pedersen on the ice, five on five, last, uh, last 15 games, um, clubs outscored their opponents by eight, right? I mean, that's, that's very good. Yeah, that's good. That's, we'll take that's that. Solid. Uh, now their bottom six has outscored their opponents by seven. So uh, over that same time frame with Neil Zaman and, uh, and uh, Teddy Bluger on the ice. So as much as we, might sort of look at it and be like, hey, that's fine. You know, that's good. Like, this team outscores their opponents and has all season. Um, you know, the, the the biggest differential really is being driven by that top pair, by Hughes Heronic, and the team does just about as well outscoring their opponents over the last segment of games with their bottom six on the ice as they do with their top six on the ice. So, you know, I, I mean, is it a concern? Uh, I mean, for me, the reason it's a concern, gentlemen, is that you look over that stretch and a lot of it is built off the back of shooting efficiency and goaltending as opposed to the level of control that you're getting out of that Bluger line in particular, mm-hmm. right? That, that to me is sort of why it's a concern. It's, and, and I think fans can tell. Like, you can tell the difference between a line that goes out there and tilts the ice the way that Garland line does shift after shift and and the way that Vancouver's top six is doing it, which is, you know, you get great games. Like you, you get nuclear games from Besser. I mean, he had a hat trick in that 15 game segment or, or Pedersen or, or Miller, but it's, it's not the same like consistent churn, you know? And, and I think that's why there's some concern, you know, there's been, changing bodies it feels like the chemistry outside of the miller besser duo has been kind of tough to find um you know niels hoaglander seems to have found some i mean three straight goals uh, three straight games with a goal is is a nice start to his top six audition maybe that can continue but you know i i think it's it's just about finding that sort of baseline level of control that you know the top lines in hockey whether it's the mckinnon line whether it's you know, Bennett, Verhage, and Kachuk, whether it's, 
uh, McDavid, Nugent Hopkins, and, and Hyman, um, you know, you're seeing those lines generate that game after game after game, and, and the Canucks haven't had that level of push with their top players on the ice at even strength or their top forwards on the ice at even strength, excuse me, um, because they definitely get that push with Hironic and Hughes on the ice regardless of what forwards they're on the ice with. Right. Um, but you haven't had it for much of the season. So what do you think the Canucks management is working on right now, if you were to guess? Well, I mean, I think it's more about like I think it's more about the big picture of what you want to add before the playoffs, right? And and it's a difficult sort of waiting to go through because if you're going to add another substantive piece, right? If you're if you're going to add another bigger piece it requires a subtraction and that's going to be complicated uh, most likely so you know I, I, I'm sure because of the way that they do business right because of Rutherford's view um, passed passed on now Veen, um, you know with the usual like stay on it stay on it uh, like Rutherford believes uh, I'm pretty sure it's not I'm not just pretty sure Rutherford believes that the willingness to be aggressive and to go out and be the team that lands the guy time and time again, even if you're overpaying by 10% um, in the deal to get the player that you think fits right. Like he believes that that's a competitive advantage over the rest of the league. Mm -hmm. It's like impatience is philosophy. Yeah. So I'm sure they're keeping tabs on everybody um, and, and doing their due diligence and doing their work and making their calls. Um, You know, but to actually make another big ad to me, is complicated. And, and I think, you know, if you were handicapping it, you'd have to say it's like what plus one fifty if just making additional depth moves with no one added above a salary point of let's say three and a half million would be like minus minus one ten would be the favorite. Um, but you can't count this front office out from taking another big swing. And, you know, uh, I mean, would, would you blame them if they looked at it and they were, trying to see like what's going to shake loose on the right side of the blue line, what's going to shake loose in terms of another top six forward um, and being willing to consider, you know, a, a raw two or a pod Colson or, or maybe a 2025 first round pick or maybe, maybe, although it would have to be for a, for a guy with a, a little more term um, like a Volander or a LaCaramacchi type, um, like a package built around one of those five assets. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I could see that. I don't think that would be like an auto automatic no. I, I don't think they'd view any of that as untouchable necessarily if the right target shook loose. Uh, it's just kind of hard to see them. It's kind of hard to see them viewing it as like a huge net win, yeah. given that you'd have to subtract a Mikheyev or a Zadorov quality guy from the lineup to uh, to accomplish that. Um, what is Mikheyev's? Uh, how hard would it be for, for the Canucks to move Mikheyev right now? I don't think very hard, to be totally honest really? with you. Yeah, I don't. Um, really highly thought of. Like, this is not a guy, you know, we sometimes talk about players who are polarizing in terms of how they're viewed around the league. And, and certainly there are teams that would have some concerns, like that wouldn't view of the way that this organization did when they signed him and, and have for most of his Canucks tenure, where they view him as like a top six guy. Like there's teams that would be like, oh, that's an elite third liner. But teams still like elite third liners, especially when it's only, you know, a couple of years of term remaining after this year. The cap, it's less than five. 
Um, I think there's a lot of teams that would be pretty comfortable betting on the idea that the pace you're seeing from him right now is not what you're going to get from him next season. And then there's definitely some teams that just like absolutely love his game, Mm -hmm. Uh, the size, the defensive reliability, um, and then the potential that, you know, what, what we're seeing this year is like a lull year post ACL, which is, you know, conventional wisdom these days. Predictable. Yeah. Yeah. Totally predictable. So, you know, when a guy's struggles are like according to plan and not, not that, you know, McKay of struggling was according to plan, but, if you really thought about what our expectations should be for him this season, you know, going through like a stretch of games like this isn't unusual, you know, isn't even a surprise. Um, So yeah, I think he'd have value. I just, I don't know how much value he'd have to like a win now team. I think it would be more a a team with their eye on like, and next season, you know, he's going to be a big, you know, piece for us uh, when that speed returns. So um you know, I, I still think you'd have options. I still think you'd have marketability. I don't think that's a negative value contract on the Canucks books. Um, how front burner for the Canucks would Dakota Joshua's pending UFA status be? Red, that's a really interesting question. Um, the problem, like the problem with the front burner concept, because I think the, like I get what you're saying. How important is Dakota Joshua to the success of the team? And the answer is very, and I don't want to diminish that with the answer I'm about to give, but the concept of a front burner versus a back burner, like it means that you've got something that's like either more urgent, right. Or, or higher priority on the front mm-hmm. and, and given Pedersen and Heronic, right. There's just no way for Joshua to get off the back burner <laughs> right. <laughs> right now. Right. Like, and, and that, isn't a reflection on his value or his yeah. ability. It's just what the Canucks have in the air. At least, um, at least the stove is on. You're on. You're on. You're on yeah. one of the. You're on one of the elements. He's yeah, he's he's definitely on an element. Um, <laughs> he's he may, may, maybe just on the warmer, right? Yeah, right. But, um, the, the bridge. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, look, you don't find guys with, you know, ten goal five fight potential. Um, Right, and in Dakota Joshua's case, he'll he'll probably have done that both of his years as a Canucks player. Um, he's got speed. He's really improved as a penalty killer. I mean, I, I think we're at the point where I'd call him Vancouver's best penalty killing forward outside sure. of Lindholm. For sure. Yeah. Um, and maybe even you know, better than Lindholm, frankly. Lindholm made a mistake on the PK the other day. Yeah, well, I mean, again, the second unit's been so punchless that like I'd love to see them try stuff. And, like, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing Dakota Joshua, given the production we've seen from him, given the hands we've seen from him. Frankly, like, the only time we ever saw him get a real look on the power play was in San Jose uh, during Boudreaux's tenure. And uh, that was the game where he should have had a hat trick, right? He had the one goal disallowed. Yeah. Um, like, I, I, I'd see him at the net front. Not not on PP1, but I'd mm-hmm. see him on the net front on PP2 at least, uh, just to, like, see what it looks like, especially given this team's sort of lack of forward uh, options with size um you know i i mean i think he can do a lot so yeah he's been uh he's been a really interesting player and he's probably one big playoff moment away from signing the sort of contract on july 1 whether in vancouver or elsewhere that we all are like wow don't know about that you know <laughs> and hey he's hoping so yeah and, that's, hoping a, and so. that's a good place to be if you're an unrestricted free agent right uh, Drancer, great stuff, bud. Thanks a lot for doing this. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight. It should be a good one. We'll do this again next week.
Thanks, boys. Bye. Bye. Uh, Thomas Drance from the Athletic Vancouver and Canuck Stock here on the Halford Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. Yeah, Dakota Joshua's hands have like, seemingly improved as the season has gone on. Which is weird because you get some, older, usually they get worse. Maybe he's just right in that. Maybe, you know, a lot of it's confidence with yeah, stick handling. It's like the confidence to go out and make plays. But if, if you go look at his history as a hockey player, even dating back to his days at the Ohio State University, it's not like he was pumping 40 goals into the net. Like he's always been like, I'm a 15-goal scorer. That's what I kind of do. And now he's, you know, you wonder if he can can reach 20 goals this season. We're talking about net front present on the power play, which I'm game to see that. Um, It'll be interesting to see how the Canucks approach that because – you can see them wanting to keep him for sure, but you can also see them not wanting to overpay him. You know who I think deserves a look net front? Nils Hoaglander. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, I think he's the not. The second unit is getting more opportunities now, and that's the coaching staff being yep. like, hey, guys, uh, first unit, uh, love some of what we're, what we're seeing, but uh, you know all those shorthanded goals that we're giving up? We saw the game. We don't, Chicago. we don't love that. I think it was a power play in the third period against Chicago where they started with the second unit. Yeah. And that, I, I, everyone noticed it right away. Like, ooh. No, it wasn't the game in Chicago. It was the one where they, well, it might have been. But, I think it was a Chicago game. But there was another one where they had given up the two shorthanded goals. That was Boston. Yeah, and yeah. then and then the second unit was the first one out, and Shorty even mentioned is like I thought I might see this, and I was like I thought I might see the Bluger line come over. <laughs> uh, okay, we're gonna do what we learns on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet six fifty. I'm gonna do mine now because of all the things that happened last night that we have adequately covered on the program, we did not mention that the Vancouver Whitecaps bowed out of the Concacaf Champions Cup yesterday down in Mexico, lost to Tigres three nil to uh, prematurely end their participation in the tournament. Now, let's be clear here. This tournament was... The, the Whitecaps were probably never going to be long for this tournament. They were, they were playing, huge underdogs against Tigres. They were playing a way better... And that, of course, is elephant in Spanish. That's right. And elephant is a tiger. Right. None of that is true. Um, you all, you wanted to jump in so bad, didn't you, Ada? I just needed some clarification, but I figured it out. Have you seen Kazam? Yeah. <laughs> I believe there was an elephant in Kazam. Anyway... Um, the, yeah, the, now that being said, the Whitecaps did have opportunities here. Uh, they kind of blew it in that first leg in Vic- or Victoria, sorry, Langford at Starlight Stadium when they had a one nil lead and they really should have got out of that match with a one nil victory, but they gave up a free kick late and then Gignac fired home. Um, I, I don't want to go too far down the road, but I think the keeper might've wanted it back anyway. Um, bigger picture for the caps. This tournament was really just part of the preseason. I don't think anyone expected them to get past one of the best teams in a very good Mexican league filled with players that had played in Europe in the case of Gignac internationally for France. So what's the bigger picture here? Well, uh, last night late in the broadcast, the play-by-play guy for one soccer dropped the, not a nugget, but some interesting news that the the Canucks, the Whitecaps are honing in on 16,000 season tickets sold. I know having spoken with someone within the organization, they've already broken the 15,000 mm-hmm. threshold. And that's the messy factor. This is the and it's the biggest what number. If Messi doesn't play. It's <laughs> already that's already causing like a Could you like, imagine? Like China's up in arms. They've turned on Messi it's just Hong Kong, be, right? because of Hong Kong. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um so here's what I know. Uh within the organization they're thrilled with the fact that they have the biggest season ticket base 
since the team joined MLS over a decade ago. The opener, which is still a few weeks away, March 2nd, against visiting Charlotte FC, already has 25,000 tickets sold. So that's essentially the lower bowl. Right. They've also opened the upper bowl for the first time for four separate regular season games, not just playoff games like they've Mm -hmm. done in the past, which includes the aforementioned Messi game, which is going to be in May, right at the end of May, if Messi does play. Uh, all this leads it's to be tough against the Canucks run. Yeah, right. That's <laughs> downtown's going to be a zoo, I tell you. Uh, so my what we learned is not just that the Whitecaps are now out of what really amounted to a couple extra preseason games, good preseason games, to be honest, in terms of getting ready for the regular season. But I'm expecting to see some pretty big crowds this year at BC Place, including for the opener on March 2nd. Moo Calmy. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff.